0: Have you noticed how much people love to talk about food? Or if ever there's a lull in conversation or you're looking for an opener, just your favorite restaurant, your favorite food, that, that, that one course, that one menu that, that that you just can't miss, peculiar dining practices. How much of our tradition mythology is around strange dining practices? When we were a kid, we were told that, that if you eat your ice cream with your spoon turned upside down, you won't get an ice cream headache. True? No, it's not true. <laughs> History buffs tell us that in colonial North America, they built kitchens with troughs in the middle of the floor so you could throw your bones while you were eating. A good idea. Man, right? Shouldn't we bring that back? World travelers will tell you, at least at a time, that a burp was a polite sign of gratitude in some places in China. I don't think it is anymore. And I would not suggest you go to the Mandarin this afternoon and give it a shot. But I I know this one is true. If you travel to a traditional Portuguese home, you learn very quickly that an empty plate means you're still hungry. And if you keep doing the polite North American thing and finishing your plate, they'll keep loading it up. And this game will go back and forth until you can barely push yourself away from the table. How about this one? Emily Post, I think, would groan at this. One of the earliest statements on etiquette, a writing from the 1530s says if you can't swallow a piece of food, turn around discreetly and throw it somewhere. (laughs) I'm not saying anything. Everybody has a kitchen story, because we have history in the kitchen. You learn very early on that this is the room where people gather. And this is the room where, where your needs are met. A garage is optional. Guys, you don't want to hear it, but it's optional. A living room, even, is negotiable. Offices used to be a luxury. Maybe they still are. But the kitchen, essential. Every house has a kitchen, especially the father's house. Drellin reminded us in prayer that we're talking about the house of God, the great house of God. And we've been using that as a metaphor, working through the promises and statements of the Lord's prayer, imagining each of us takes us, each of those promises takes us to a room in God's great house. Some of it is just really earthy, really practical. God isn't just some mountaintop guru dispensing ethereal bits of spiritual advice. The same hand that guides your soul fills your stomach. In the school of life, this is important, in the school of life, God is both the teacher and the cook. He provides, you know, fire for the heart, but He also provides food for the stomach. So in a sense, your, your eternal salvation and your evening meal come from the same hand. There's a kitchen right in the heart of the great house of God. And what we're going to do this morning hopefully is just linger a little bit there and enjoy the warmth and the hospitality and some of the promises of what it means to be satisfied in the presence of God. Let's pray together and then we'll we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we pray now that the words that Jesus has spoken the words that have been preserved in the pages of the Bible, the words that we have read and heard this morning, that you would bring them fully to life in us. God, move freely through us. Take take the words that I speak as, as limited and uh, and as distorted as they could be, but God, would you use them and bless them? Take the thoughts that we think and and use those. Be at work in our lives. We pray. Amen. I want you to imagine a long table, long, filled with chairs, lavishly set before you. And in the middle of the kitchen, uh, on its well-appointed walls, there is a sign. And you've seen signs like this in kitchens before. We had signs like this in kitchens, I can remember, in our homes growing up. On the sign are written the words of the verse, Give us this day our daily bread. Any of you grew up in a kitchen that had that sign, that plaque on the wall? Kitchen, dining room. Yes, a few. The words brief are still kind of problematic, at least from a couple of points of view. Like, where's the word please? Please give us this day our daily bread. I mean, do we just stand up and shout a request to God? Give us. Give us today daily bread. Another, maybe the limitations of the prayer. I mean, doesn't it feel a little bit hemmed in? Give us today bread, give us tomorrow bread, bread. What about some fettuccine, Lord? Or can we mix it up a little bit? Some Mexican, some, some fish tacos. And what about the focus only on today's needs? Can't we pray for tomorrow? God, we want to have enough for tomorrow. What about the future? What about our kids' education, or our plans for retirement? Can't we pray for that too? Why, Why this day? Why, Why just bread? Perhaps the best way to answer those kind of questions is to imagine as you look at that sign, give us this day our daily bread, underneath it another sign. And again, our kitchen had these. Lots of kitchens do. A set of kitchen rules. Did you have those? We have them in here. Have a look at our kitchen rules. These aren't in there, but some of the rules that we had growing up, no singing at the table. Though we would break that sometimes. Wash your hands before you come to the table to eat. Carry your own plate to the sink. Richard gets double portions of dessert. <laughs> yeah, no. God's kitchen, underneath the promise, give us this day our daily bread, has rules. But there's just two of them. Here's the first one. Don't be shy. You can ask. Give us this day our daily bread. And, and there's no sense of of groveling on your knees. Pardon me, sir, but could we have a few crumbs of... There's, there's none of that. If you don't mind, I know you're busy with the affairs of the universe, but a little bit for me. No, give us this day our daily bread. There's the opportunity to pray with sincerity, but also claiming the invitation that God gives you. And yeah, that would feel like an odd way to start a prayer, but that's not how we started the prayer. That's not where we begin. Remember where we began? If you've followed Christ's model for prayer, your focus up until now has been on the awesome wonder of God, not on your own stomach. The first three petitions in the prayer are all God-centered. They're not us-centered. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. In fact, if you want a little recap, if you want to take a quick little tour through the house over the past six or seven weeks. You remember your first step into the great house of God was into the living room where you're reminded of what it means to be adopted into the family of God. Our Father who art in heaven. I mean, you linger on that word Father and realize all that means. Not just the absentee landlord of the universe, but our Father. Father. We moved from there to, to look at the foundation of the house. We pondered the, the permanence, the dependability, the, the faithfulness of God. Remember we said that the most important word in that opening stanza may be the shortest. Our Father who is. Just full stop, he is. And because he is, everything else follows. From the foundation we went to the chapel. Your house may not have one, but God's house surely does. And we learn to worship the holiness of God. Hallowed be thy name. Remember, holiness is not just a statement about moral superiority, moral perfection. Holiness captures up the vast otherness of God. That God is, is somehow separate, a cut apart from us, a cut above us. The holiness of God that stirs worship. We move from there into the throne room. And there, touch the the lowered scepter of God and pray what may be the greatest prayer. Thy kingdom come. Sheldon took you into the study room where we learn to submit our desires to God's. Thy will be done. Not my will. Thy will be done. And then all heaven and earth grow silent as you take your prayer and you place it in the furnace of God's presence and power saying, On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. A little bit of what's there. Let it come down here. Proper prayer follows that path. It reveals God to us before we reveal our needs to him. It's important. Proper prayer follows that path. Revealing God to us before revealing our needs to him. Why? Because the purpose of prayer... It's not primarily to change the mind of God. I mean, there's some great stories of, of the heroes of faith going back and forth with God. But the primary purpose of prayer is not to change God. It's to change us so that by the time we reach God's kitchen, we're changed people. I mean, remember how your heart was warmed in the living room when you learned what it meant to call God your father. How your fears were stilled, your anxiety went down a little bit when you contemplated the foundation of his faithfulness. How lingering in his holiness just produced feelings of wonder in you, and awe, and and maybe confession. How inviting his kingdom to come reminds us to stop wasting so much time trying to build our own. How asking for, for God's will to be done places our will second to his, and realizing that the heaven pauses in anticipation, breathless, waiting for God to answer. says something about the power of our prayer on earth as it is in heaven. So by the time we step into the kitchen, we're renewed people. I mean, we ought to be. And then the next three petitions in the Lord's Prayer encompass, in some ways, all the concerns of our life. Give us this day our daily bread, addresses the present. Forgive us our sins, addresses the past, all that stuff we trail behind us. Lead us not into temptation, addresses the future. God, will you be with us? Will you protect us? Side by side, shoulder to shoulder, will you walk with us? But today we're going to focus on the first of those. We're going to focus on bread. And and, and bread... We can joke about fettuccine and tacos and things. But bread, uh, obviously, is meant to encompass something broader than just what we know. It's God's provision. Martin Luther defined bread this way. He said, it's everything necessary for the preservation of this life, including food, a healthy body, house, home, happy wife, and children. I added the happy. Do you disagree? No. Okay. I mean, the verse urges us, give us this day our daily bread, to talk to God about the necessities of daily life. God may give us the luxuries, and he often does, but this is about the necessities. And again, when we're wrestling with God on these things, it's not like we're wrestling crumbs out of the reluctant grip of God who doesn't want to share. We're acknowledging the bounty and the grace of God who is generous. The essence of the prayer really is an affirmation of God's care. Psalm 37. Beautiful psalm. Listen to these words. Psalm 37, verse 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and feed on truth. Enjoy serving the Lord and he will give you what you want. Depend on the Lord. Trust him. You can trust him and he will take care of you. God is committed to caring for the needs of his people. After all, I mean, he's given us work to do important, purposeful work in the world. God wouldn't send an army into the world without a commissary to care for and provide for his people. Hebrews 13, 20, I pray that the God of peace will give you everything you need. Why? So that you can get about doing what you're meant to do, the things that he wants you to do. Hasn't that prayer been answered? I mean, be honest. We may not have always had a feast, but we had food It wasn't always a banquet, but we had bread. And many times, many times it was a banquet. In fact, many of us in Canada, we have trouble relating to that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because our pantries are packed. We seldom have to ask for food. Instead, what we have to ask for is self-control. God, let me eat less. You go to your local bookstore, if there's any of them left, and you search the shelves, there are no... No books on the shelves or precious few on how to survive starvation, but there's shelves and shelves on how to eat less, lose weight. We're, uh, I don't know, we're the generation of the blessed of belly, but it doesn't mean we don't pray the prayer, we just pray it. It's kind of like a double blessing because we're living the answer to it even as we pray it. Thank you that you have blessed us with our daily bread. Because at some point it occurs to you that something, someone is providing for your needs. And you will take a giant step forward when you can say, as David did, 1 Chronicles 29, everything that we have comes from you. And we only give you what is yours. So you may be writing the check or you may be stirring the soup. But there's so much more to putting food on the table than that. What about the, the ancient symbiosis of the seed and the soil and the sun and the rain? Who created the vegetables for food, the minerals for metal? Long before you know that you need these things, God has already provided. So the first rule of the kitchen on the sign is the rule of dependence. You can ask God to for what you need. He's committed to you. The second rule, there's only two. The second rule is the rule of trust. You can trust the cook. The kitchen in God's house is not a restaurant. Probably yours wasn't either. I know ours wasn't and ours isn't. It's not just a place that you visit quickly and then dash off. It's often the place where you linger and you chat. It's not open only for an hour and then closed to the next day. Our kitchen is open all night. We hear the fridge opening. We see the lights go on. We hear the microwave reheating leftovers, raiding the pantry for baked goods. It's it's open. But the most important difference between a restaurant and a kitchen is the menu. Because the kitchen doesn't have one. At least our kitchen doesn't. God's kitchen doesn't need one for the same reason. Things may be different in your house, but in the Father's house... The one who provides the food chooses what's on your plate. You get what gets put in front of you. You don't swagger into the presence of God and say like this little delicacy and that one and the double course of this one. It doesn't work that way. In the kitchen, you eat what the cook provides. On the opposite end, though, it's not like we sit outside the door begging for crumbs. What do we do? We come in, we take our place at the table, give us this day our daily bread. And then we accept what God provides. And someday, some days the plates run right over. God just keeps bringing more and more food and we keep loosening our belt. And here it comes, a promotion, a privilege, a friendship, a gift, a lifetime of grace. There are times when we just push ourselves back from the table amazed at the goodness of God. It's like this, this translation of Psalm 23 that I love, the, the shepherd's psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Verse 5, you serve me this six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head, my cup overflows with blessing. And then there are those days to come when, well, we've got to eat our broccoli or whatever it is, turnips or, The daily bread could be tears or sorrow, disappointment or discipline. That portion may include adversity as well as opportunity. And all are important. And all are from God. There is a promise in the Bible and... uh, I think it's a promise for those who are a little bit tenured in the faith. I, I know we like to toss it around and feel like this is God's great bandage for the wounded of the world, and it is. But, but you'll understand when you see it that, that it takes a while of living in the house of God and being in the kitchen to learn to, to, to say these words for what they mean. Romans 8.28 We know that in everything... The turnips and the feast, the adversity and the adventure, and everything, God is at work for the good of those who love him. We, like Paul, we we try and learn the secret. This is Philippians 4 that Victoria read for us. The secret of being happy at any time in everything. When it happens, you know, there will be moments when you've got enough to eat, and there will be some when you feel like you're going hungry. When you have more than you need, Paul says, and when you don't have enough. But, and here's the bold claim I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. Hmm. Maybe the heart of that prayer, the, the simple summary, as it often is, is just this little verse from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 30, verse 8. Here's a prayer. Lord, give me enough food to live on, neither too much nor too little. Why? If I'm too full, I might grow independent, saying, God, who needs them? If I'm too poor, I might steal and dishonor the name of my God. Maybe the next time you feel like there's more broccoli on your plate than apple pie, remember who prepared the meal. The next time your plate has a portion on it, you find hard to swallow. Talk to God about it. You remember Jesus did, you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Father handed him a cup of suffering so bitter, so vile, that his first impulse was to hand it back. My Father, he prayed, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But Jesus had learned the prayer long before he taught it to the disciples. What does he pray next? Not as I will, but thy will be done. Even Jesus was given a portion that was hard to swallow, but with God's help he did. With God's help and and Jesus at work, you and I can as well. That's the whole reason we gather here at the table. To celebrate the two rules of the kitchen dependence, and trust. We can trust him. Let's meet him here. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and prepare us for the table, and then we'll join together in bread and wine.